Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson. Karlsson, 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 Welcome everybody to the episode of Keeping Carl's Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who hope their goalie rankings from last week will rank as high with the experts as the Colorado Avalanche do in terms of their cup odds. I'm your temporary host, Elon Dubrovsky, and once again today, we've got a special show for you because Ben Burnett is going to be taking over for the next installment of our 32 Beats Beat Writer series to interview from The Athletic, Peter Ba, the expert on the Colorado Avalanche, and so this is going to be a really fun show. Always cool to talk to those beat writers who are covering teams that are amazing, as opposed to, you know, some of the other ones we've talked to where it's like a a bunch of despair. Here, it's just uh, Ben and Peter just talk about how great Colorado is and what could potentially go wrong, if anything. So it's a really fun fun interview. You're really going to like it. I'll get to that in just a sec. Uh, before we get to that, a couple housekeeping notes. First of all, we're proudly presented by DauberHockey.com, the number one fantasy hockey website in the world. If you haven't gotten the Dauber Fantasy Guide yet, what are you waiting for? You got all the projections for all the players. That's going to help you in your fantasy drafts, obviously. So you got to go to DauberHockey.com, get the world-famous Dauber Hockey Guide. Uh, secondly, if you're thinking of different leagues to play in, unfortunately, you've missed the registration deadline to get yourself a guaranteed entry in the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. That doesn't mean that you won't get in. If you still want to play in the Cupful, but you missed the deadline, you can still go to Cupful.com, register for our waitlist, and if enough people sign up for the waitlist, we're going to open up another division and let the fun keep rolling. So the people who already registered, you're slow drafting starting on Monday, but if we could fill another division soon, we'll just uh, make another league and start another slow draft. So if you want to get in at the the bottom tier of the Cacupful and start your journey to fantasy hockey greatness, go to Cacupful.com, register now, become a patron of Keeping Carlson, get all the other great perks that we offer to our patrons. You're going to be all set to have a really fun fantasy hockey season. But okay, with that, I think I'm just going to cut over to Ben's interview with Peter Baugh, and I'm not going to record an outro for this episode. So enjoy the interview with Ben, and we'll be back at you with another episode of Keeping Carlson in just a couple days. We're going to be talking to Dom Lucision all about his also world-famous fantasy projections along with Dauber. It's always a really fun show every year when we get to talk to Dom, so make sure you're subscribed to Keeping Carlson on wherever you listen to your podcast, so you'll get that show and all the great shows we have planned for you to get you ready for your fantasy seasons. But okay, enough jibber-jabber. Here is Ben Burnett and his interview with Peter Baugh about the Colorado Avalanche. Welcome back to the Keeping Carlson Beat Writer interview series. I am your host again tonight, Ben Burnett from the Short Shifts podcast. Joining me from the Athletic Colorado, Peter Baugh. Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. Uh, Elon mentioned to me today that we didn't have a Colorado beat writer on the show last year. So this is a this is a big get for us. We're, we're very happy to have you. Thank you. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's exciting. It's an exciting time of year. The season coming up. So I actually did want to start by asking you something more general about the Avs. Uh, a little bit of history for me, because I find one of the most interesting things about this team is the perception of GM Joe Sackick, like, I'm old enough to remember when he was considered among the bottom rung of NHL GMs when he first took over and he signed a lot of depth pieces like Brad Stewart or Cody McLeod. And then he traded Ryan O'Reilly, who, you know, has since gone on to lead a team to a Stanley Cup final. But then, you know, the the Matt Duchesne trade happened. The, the contract impasse kind of kicks in 
And you could tell that folks were at that point, I think people forget, but at that point, people were kind of blaming Sackick and blaming the Avs for not uh, not dealing with it quickly enough. But he holds his own. He comes out of it with this this deal that at the time also underwhelmed a little bit, as I recall. And and now, uh, obviously, Sam Girard is a, is a star and you have, uh, you know, they, they pick up Bowen Byram with the draft pick that they get. And Matthew Shane has really, really fallen off. And ever since, I think Sackick's been looked at as, you know, along with his other moves, he's been looked at as one of the best GMs in the league. I guess I'm wondering what your perception is of Sackick and and how it is that he kind of had that that shift from being somebody who was a bit of a maybe underrated or or maybe, you know, just not respected enough. Yeah, well, I think Joe Sackick is a very patient person, um, which I think is is very difficult for general managers when um I guess often there's there's a demand for for winning. So Joe Sackick has made some some really smart deals that have led to, I, I guess, like long term success that in the moment people were not thrilled with. So you look at like uh, waiting out with Matt Deshane, like, and then eventually moving him in a deal that people weren't thrilled about. But if you look at that deal, like you mentioned, Sam Gerrard is an exceptional player. Bowen Byram. They also got Shane Bowers in that deal, who's a first round pick who. I think there's a good chance he debuts this year. Like they, they really, those, they hit on a lot of pieces in those. And then Sackick had cap flexibility um, to make moves to get someone like Devon Taves or Brandon Saad last year. So he's, he's very patient. Um, he doesn't really panic and it's led to a, 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 one of the better teams in the league, I think is, is probably, you can't really dispute where the avalanche are in that regard right now. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think in Denver, people are, um, I think people trust Sackick as a GM, but I do think there's naturally some impatience just with the, the talent that's been on the roster and the not getting through the second round the last couple of years. Yeah, it's, it's going to be tough. And I guess where better to start than the guy who seems to have taken that the hardest, Nathan McKinnon has been so incredible since he broke out in uh, 17, 18. He's paced for at least 107 points in three of the past four years. The other year he had 99. I'm not going to dock him too hard for that. Uh, the only things I think between Nathan and multiple MVP awards at this point are Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Uh, do you think he has another gear? Do you think he could be one of those 120 plus point guys like Drysidel McKinnon or Drysidel McDavid or Kucherov? Look at me; I'm already counting him among that group. <laughs> I mean, he certainly, I think, is up there with those guys as the best player in the league. Especially when you consider that defensively, he's he's pretty strong for someone who brings as much offense as he does. Um, so I think he certainly is in that category of when you're looking at best players in the league. It's McDavid, him, Matthews, kind of in like yeah, that sure. he's in that grouping. I think um, I'll be curious to see if he can have uh, like, if I think some of it is, is luck to an extent, like it's, it's the stars aligning a little bit and um, it's, it's certainly possible that we see him have a, I mean, he's already had breakout years, but a, an even bigger year, especially because he plays on such a talented line with uh, Mika Rantanen, who if he was, in any other market, maybe not any other, in a lot of other markets, he would be an absolute superstar. Gabriel Landeskog is obviously an incredible player. Um, and then he has Kale McCarr, Devon Taves feeding him the puck from the defensive zone. So like it's, it's, it, it is certainly a system that is set up to benefit um, someone like him. And I think that it's entirely possible that you see him have a monster year at some point in the next few years. 
Yeah. And I mean, as you're talking about sort of the way that system rolls out, I'm thinking like, yes, that does benefit Rantanen and Landeskog and Byer, or, uh, and Taves, you mentioned. Uh, but McKinnon is kind of the guy. He is the straw that stirs that drink for sure. Um, I think that Rantanen is a really interesting guy. And he's been obviously McKinnon's right hand man the past couple of years. And last year was his best from a points perspective. He put up a 104 point pace. Um, which was really the first time we saw Rantanen get hot and stay that hot for a full season. Before you'd see him go in a tear, like I, I looked back to 2018-19, he had 56 points in his first 32 games, but then he fell off and just had 31 in his last 42. Is there anything that you can look to that sort of explains why Rantanen has been so streaky in the past? Or is that something that maybe it, it seems like he's corrected to you in the in the past year? Yeah, I mean, it's it's potentially just age and and maturity i mean you look at him um in 20 i i think you mentioned 2018 he was he was what young 20s at that point he's yeah. he's still only 24 years old so i think some of it is maybe familiarity with the league and and just kind of knowing the grind of a full season and then you also have to look at like again the pieces around him certainly benefit i mean when you have cal mccarr fe- like feeding you the puck which that helps you know, yeah it <laughs> helps a lot and um yeah, and McKinnon making the jump to being as elite as he's been certainly helps. Adding Devontae's helps. So it's I think it's a mix of factors. He's improved, and I think also like I think that um, the piece around him have improved too. Well, I guess the natural uh, the natural move here is to go talk about the third piece of that line, Gabriel Landeskog. He's been incredible value for folks who play fantasy in banger leagues, which count hits and blocks and penalty minutes. I was curious, though, watching how the Avs dealt with his free agency this year. The fact that he actually hit uh, the free agency deadline without a contract was pretty surprising to me. But as an insider there in Colorado, do you think it ever got close to him leaving this offseason? Well, so it, it never actually got to where he where other teams could could bargain with him other than Seattle. Seattle had an exclusive window oh, where they okay. could talk to him. Um, but they got it done kind of in the 11th hour the night. They they got it done the last night the ads could offer him eight years. Um, I think that, I mean, I, I wrote a story where I talked to Gabe and he kind of talked about this was during the free agency process, being frustrated with how the negotiations were going. He was disappointed. He wasn't sure which jersey he was going to be wearing next year. And, and I think there was a real possibility that um, this didn't work out. I think they, Landis Scott badly wanted to stay in Colorado. Colorado wanted to keep him. But I think there was also a wariness on Colorado's end to, to give him a lot of value for a lot of years because uh, a guy who plays such a physical uh, grinding game, maybe when he he reaches 34, 35, you don't know exactly what you're going to have in him, the back end of that contract. But I think ultimately the Avalanche knew how important he was to the, to the franchise. Um, and, and they decided it was, it would be unwise to let him walk. Um, so they, they got something done. Yeah. I mean, and you can see that you could foresee how that would age poorly, but I think everybody's probably feeling pretty good about the next several years of that contract. I think one of the more interesting pieces, though, is, you know, Landeskog is the captain, but I wonder how many casual hockey fans would guess that it's McKinnon who's the who's the captain just based on profile alone. Do you think that that's something that comes up 
you know, now that now that Landeskog's locked in for eight years, it kind of feels like McKinnon's opportunity to be a captain of the team is is not really there. Maybe, but I also don't know if I mean you you've got star players in this league who who aren't captains. Patrick Kane has never been a captain. It's it's I think Nathan and and Gabriel Landeskog have a, a really good relationship. And and I mean I think they're Nathan is one of Gabe's closest friends on the team and vice versa, just because they've been through a lot together. They've been through some some of the <laughs> rougher patches of, of this avalanche like um, path that they've they've had the last decade or so. Um, so so I, I don't think there's any like animosity or anything there between that, because I think Nathan was one of the happiest people that Gabe got brought back. But it is an interesting um, thing to think about of like if um if Nathan will ever have a chance to be a captain of the abs or another franchise, because I mean, yeah, Gabe's going to be here for a long time and, and we, who knows what the team will look like after that and who will be ready to step up. But I also think that Nathan's he's, he's got the a on his Jersey and, and they do balance each other out well in some ways of Nathan being just, he's a, he's very intense. He's very extreme with the work he puts in. And I think he, um, he, I think it, it helps that that Gabe has has at times more perspective um, in terms of like if there's a few losses in a row he's not freaked out about it um, not that Nathan gets like overly freaked out but I think Nathan certainly like can get frustrated and and I think that um, Gabe is really good for him in that regard. You're, it sounds like you're saying that Gabe is the guy who, after Nathan uh, knocks the candy bag out of the the rookie's hands, Gabe goes and picks it up and kind of slaps him on the back like, it's okay, big guy, like you can have your candy. Yeah, and so I don't know the exa- – I, I like haven't been in the dressing room since, I mean, this, of course. the pandemic, it was hard. So it's hard to get the exact dynamics down, but it's just – I think that's uh, somewhat like – Nathan will make sure everyone is working their absolute hardest and Gabe. And it's not that Gabe will accept anything less than that either, but I think he's maybe a little, he can be a little more measured sometimes. A a bit of a good cop, bad cop situation. It sounds like. Yeah, maybe Uh, it's, it's, it's hard to know without being there Mm -hmm. like inside the room. But I, I think that that's, I think they play off each other very well. It, it makes a lot of sense, and that does it definitely jives with with their uh, with the public persona or or the energy that they're giving off. Especially, yeah, with that with the McKinnon uh, inter- the interview about McKinnon's health streak this off season. Um, I guess though, when you look down, uh, if we shift down a tier, talking about forwards on the Avs, there's definitely a big question mark to me. Uh, as to who's going to join these three and Makar on the top power play unit, who do you see as getting that first crack to start the year? Yeah, well, so there were points last year where Nazem Kadri was on the top power play unit. I actually believe he started last year on the top power play unit. So he's someone who who is capable. I think Andre Burakovsky has a great wrist shot. They had so last year it was Jonas Donskoy, who's who's now in Seattle. But I think maybe. Kadri or Burkowski to start would be a, a safe guess. I think both of them are obviously quality players with experience and goal scoring ability. But you don't have a you don't have an odds on favor. But those are obviously I think the the two running favorites for sure. But I feel like there's a bit of a in fantasy you kind of want to bet on these guys who you think is going to be the the top power play guy. Do you have an odds favorite? I guess. Mm. Um, I think we'll, uh, I'll certainly know more as training camp goes and we see mm. how, how they practice and how people look, but seeing as 
the fact that Kadri has experience on the top power play unit, I think he would make a lot of sense potentially. All right. So we are going to keep an eye on, uh, is it twitter.com slash Peter underscore Ba? Am I right there? I believe that is correct. It I looks good. I, I got it. I think we're all okay. good there. <laughs> um, all right. Well, talking about Burakovsky, you know, he's paced for above 60 points both years in Colorado, which kind of seems incredible. Like, I know that he's been good. I know that he's been hot, but he's also had some dips in there. Um, if you look at his numbers, though, he's, he shot a really high shooting percentage both years. You mentioned the uh, the wrist shot, which obviously helps in that regard. Last year, he goes crazy in limited uh, p- power play minutes. He's one of the top like 20 players in the league in points per 60 on the power play. Um, I guess when I think about that, I, I just see a huge ceiling for Burakovsky if he's able to put up 60 point paces already without that top power play uh, exposure. Totally. And he's he's another guy that at times goes through hot and cold stretches, where which I think is pretty common where your top line guys are maybe the more consistent ones, but then the second line, like both Kadri and uh, Burakovsky are, can be hot and cold at points. Um, but yeah, Burkowski's a very talented player, very good player. And certainly has been, I mean, I talk about another good move by Joe Sackick, like bringing him over from Washington was, was clearly a, a good decision. And he's, he's proven himself to be a quality second liner. Yeah. He's been an absolute, absolute steal for them. Um, jumping to Kadri then he's fit in as a, around a 50 point player throughout his career. And I think in fantasy circles, uh, players have always loved Kadri because he has that point floor, but he shoots a ton and hits, uh, in researching this episode though, I noticed that those hit totals have started to decline a bit from, I guess they started to decline in Toronto. Then last year they really fell off. He actually, uh, had half of his career hit rate. He was well below, uh, one hit per game for the first time in his career. Um, you know, in fantasy, typically we can point to things like, oh, the guy shot less. So obviously he's going to score less or he got more time on ice. So that explains his career season, but it is hard to explain why someone would hit less. So I'm wondering if you have any insight into what may be a, a very difficult to answer question. Yeah, I don't I don't know exactly if that's just play style or if it's aging or or, or what. He still is a guy who who plays hard and is a grinder and and that's what makes him the like player he is. That's still very much his identity. Um and I think Jared Bednar, like the head coach of the Avalanche, really I guess emphasizes that with him and wants him to stick with that. Um, the, what's interesting with him is he had, um, you mentioned his point totals last year. He was, he actually is off to a really good start. And then the last like couple few weeks of the season, he had just a really tough stretch where he wasn't scoring at all. And then obviously gets suspended in the playoffs and which badly hampered the avalanche in the, in the Vegas series, especially. So it, it was certainly an up and down season for Kadri in a lot of ways, just, beyond the the hit totals. So I think that this could be a really interesting year for him, how he responds to that, especially given that it's the final year in his contract. Well, and the the discipline issue really surprised me, not because, you know, I haven't seen it, him do it before, but just because, like, he already got chased out of Toronto uh, for disciplinary issues, and then he gets into the playoffs and does the same thing with Colorado this year. Do you have any sense of whether or not that is something that, is being addressed by Colorado. Have you heard anything on that, on that front? I mean, I'm sure it was something that they've discussed, but I also think that it was, it was something that Kadri is, as soon as it happened was probably, I don't know if he necessarily needed to be told that he messed up. Right. Yeah. I think he probably was like, Oh, that was not the best thing. He, I'm really interested in 
it'll be good to talk to him in training camp about kind of how this offseason was and how that influenced him in that regard if it motivated how how he handled it um but it was a like it was a really um yeah it, it was it was surprising also because he had been he hadn't had any discipline from the league since coming to Colorado like he he had been exactly what they had wanted him to be in that regard and then he he had this slip up in the playoffs and it was extremely costly yeah, I was, uh, you know, I was a big fan of Kadri uh, as a younger player, especially watching him in Toronto when they were going through their rebuild. And he was the only guy on the team who, you know, when they were not very competitive, who you could say was like definitely giving it his all every night. So I've been cheering for him to get back on it. But uh, it was it was tough to watch this year to see just the same mistake. You, you kind of shake your head. Um, but, you know, we've talked about five forwards in Colorado. Obviously, we uh, in fantasy circles, we're talking about that top six opportunity all the time with uh, Don on in expansion, though, as you mentioned, there is room for another forward up there. I think um, many of our listeners are hoping a rookie like Alex Newhook might get that shot. Do you have any insight into how the uh, how the Avs might be looking to to fill out that second line? Yeah, well, so much of it comes down to just who looks best in training camp. I mean, Alex Newhook spent half the summer in Newfoundland, where he's from, trained up there, and then he went to Boston, where he trained with the pro group. Um, and obviously, the, he has a big opportunity this year if if he's ready to to take that next step. Um, but there's also, I mean, JT Comfer played on the second line at points. Um, I think in the playoffs when Kadri was suspended, he was up on the second line. Valerian Nachushkin, Tyson Jost are both possibilities. Um, but yeah, I think Newhook is certainly the one who maybe has the highest ceiling, but he's got a, it'll all come down to how he, he plays in, in training camp. I think it's, it's too early to tell who the favorite is right now, just because it, it we don't know what, how guys trained this summer and who's going to come back looking great. And who knows, maybe there's someone else who, who will be a shocker and really emerge in training camp. Yeah. And I mean, what a spot to kind of be able to develop your game too, right? In in a top six role where you're able to be sort of uh, sheltered uh, on your way in, but not in a way where you're not getting offensive opportunities, just where you're you're not being held responsible for, for intense player assignments. I guess, though, when I, when I think about this team, I, I think about that top line and how you know, losing a guy like Donskoy, you're losing a second liner. And that was kind of, they had the top line, very good, but then they also had a very good second line. And losing Donskoy, I think there it's a possibility where they have a, a bit of a step back, that second line this year. Do you think that they would look at spreading out that talent across the top line, across the top six again this year? Um. I, well, and also they lost Brandon Sott, who was yes, Donsko right. is playing. Donsko is on the third line, so it, it, they certainly lost some of their, I guess, middle six presence. Um, I, I don't think Bednar's opposed to trying out spreading out the the lines. I know he's he's tried it in the past. I think actually last season they briefly started with Burakovsky playing on the top line and Landeskog on the second line. Um, but I I think that the top line is so incredible together and puts up such great production that it is difficult to move away from them just because you know that they fit so perfectly together and are, are so productive. Um, so we'll see. I, I think it'll, uh, a lot of it will be dictated by how, how guys look. Maybe Alex Newhook is ready to, to kind of step in and, and be a top six player. 
And if that's the case, then no, you don't spread them out. But maybe, maybe the, maybe they'll be forced to spread it out a bit because of how the the roster shakes out. And Newhook, do you see him on the wing when he makes the league? Yeah. So last year in the playoffs, he played he played wing. Um, it was I think mostly on the fourth line, um, and it, it, I believe on the left side. But he's he is a center. He when he debuted, he played center um, for the Avs. But in the playoffs, when they were worried less about his development and more about just winning the hockey games, he he was on the wing and and he had his moments. He he was. He struggled a bit against Vegas, but I think the Avs as a whole struggled a bit against Vegas. And um, yeah, he's a he's a good player and someone who I think that uh, if the Avs, that he's a guy who could raise the Avs ceiling depending on his development the next twelve to twenty four months. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, talk about getting thrown into the Wolves. That's a that's a tough assignment, especially without a, a certified number two center like Kadri in the lineup. We are going to take a quick break, though, and when we come back, we'll talk about the defense of the Colorado Avalanche. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. We're shifting right down to defense then, and who else could we start with than perhaps the most youthful-looking superstar in the league, (laughs) Kale McCarr. And actually, when I think about the Avs in general, I mean, Nathan McKinnon had a little bit of that vibe going into the league as well. They've got a very youthful-looking... There's a couple of youthful-looking guys on that team. Um... This isn't incredibly fantasy relevant, but I am curious, uh, is watching Kale McCarr play every night one of the biggest perks of your job? Yes, 5 million percent, yes. I think that it's it's certainly like um, something that I really have to make sure I don't take for granted, both McCarr and McKinnon, just yeah. like these are generational players um, that I get to watch and write about on a daily basis. And that's something that's really special. And I certainly uh, don't, (laughs) I don't forget that. I try to make sure I remember that as I'm covering these games, especially when you get into the like middle months of the season where they kind of drag out a bit. Yeah, I'm a Rangers fan uh, who owned Kale McCarr in fantasy last year. And so I was watching a ton of McCarr. And I I have to say, I'm just glad that Adam Fox got his Norris before McCarr had a healthy season. (laughs) Yeah, Um, because I think if if McCarr plays the full year last year, I don't think it's necessarily close. If if he's able to keep up that point per game pace, yeah, I, I think you're right there. And uh, I guess that that is exactly what I was going to ask. Do you think there's anything stopping Makar except health from being that point per game Norris Trophy winning D man? I mean, the recipe is there for him to put up a lot of points. Uh, one, he's insanely talented. He's an incredible skater who passes well and can shoot. And then he also has people around him that can make the most of his passes. So if he's on the, he's going to be on the top power play unit every night when he's healthy. And if he, you can kind of, they're not easy points, but like you get those points where sometimes you swing the puck to Ranton and who passes it to McKinnon who scores, you know, it's, and you get those secondary assists, you know, you you can kind of accumulate those while also having your, your like incredible assists that you create on your own. Um, So he's, he, uh, yeah, he the recipe is there for him to put up a lot of points, and he's also improved immensely defensively. His de- defensive metrics last year were really, really good, and he's not perfect, but I mean, no one is, especially in a game of mistakes like hockey. Um, he's a certainly a player that the Avalanche are very <laughs> fortunate to have because you need a defensive anchor and a top pairing level defenseman to win the Stanley Cup, and he certainly is that. And he did not. A, a lot of the Avs 
um, including some of their big guys. Like McKinnon did not have a great Vegas series. Landis Cog did not have a Vegas series. McCarr looked like he belonged the entire time. There were points in that series, even when the Avs were struggling, where he looked like the best player on the ice. And he's uh, he's uh, certainly one of the futures of the NHL. Well, and to have him come into the league out of the box being like this top line power play guy at the age of 20 was just like honestly surreal watching him in that play, that first playoff run. I just, you don't get a player that good, that young. Yeah. And that poise, he has an unbelievable like amount of poise. He doesn't get rattled very easily. Well, into the defense here. And I think the Avs are, again, an unusual team because they have a plethora of fantasy-relevant defensemen. Uh, I'm thinking next about Devon Taves and Sam Girard because they both paced for around 50 points over a full season, which I think it sounds uh, underwhelming, I think, to some folks who might be a bit more casual because, you know, 50 points, whatever. But we're talking about defensemen here, and that just doesn't happen without getting first unit power play time. Obviously, Gerard gets a little bit when when Makar was injured. But overall, I mean, this is just an incredible uh, performance by that to- those top three defensemen in Colorado last year. Colorado, of course, leads the league in goals scored, which... I think you kind of have to if you want to have three defensemen be that offensively involved. Do you think that they have the opportunity, Taves and Gerard, to stay involved enough to put up those high 40s, low 50-point totals moving forward? Yeah, I think you you look at those guys, and they're maybe not on the top power play, but they both play on the second power play unit and play really well off each other on that unit, uh, which certainly helps a lot in terms of point accumulation, as we talked about. But they're extremely gifted offensive players. And, and I mean, they, they lead, like you said, they have this offense scored a lot of points for a reason. And a lot of it is because of the talent on the back end where you have um, these three incredibly qualified defensemen bringing the puck through the the zones. And, and yeah, it's, it's certainly a, a really good unit that maybe could benefit, could have benefited from the experience of, last season and and playing a really tough series against Vegas. And we'll see how they look coming out because Gerard, I know struggled a little bit in that Vegas series and we'll see if he's, he's ready to take on a bit of a bigger role now that uh, he's a little older. I think he's, he's, he's still only 23. Like they're all so young. I mean, Taze is, is the old one and he's, I think 26, 27. So uh, they're, it's a young group still in a lot of ways. Yeah, that t- I mean, we're, we're not so much fantasy relevant at this point, but Devon, that Devontae's trade was one of the most un- inexplicable trades that I've seen uh, pop up in the league in the last few years. Just to get a first pairing defenseman for, you know, a couple of seconds. It just doesn't, it shouldn't work that way. Yeah, that was Joe Sackick having cap space and weaponizing it because other teams in the league needed to uh, figure out their own cap situations. And now Taze is in Colorado for a few more years that I believe either four or 5 million a year. And if, if you have that level of player with that low a cap hit, obviously it's a lot of money, but it, it, compared to its value, it's, you do that every time. And so moving on to Bowen Byram now, who I, I mean, I don't think we've given him enough credit to this point because how do you give enough credit to anyone on this abs defense that that's just so stacked, but Byram, I think on any other team is probably this massively hyped superstar, but in Colorado, he's just behind so many talented players. Um, 
I think it's pretty challenging for to see him in a fantasy relevant role uh, because of the players he's behind next year. But do you think the Avs managed to get him into more of an offensive role this year? Yeah, I think it also it, it'll depend on what injury situations look like, how often they rest defensemen. Because I, I do think it would be super beneficial to Byram's development if he gets a few chances on on a power play unit. Um, maybe you maybe there's a stretch of back-to-backs where you you maybe rest one of your bigger defensemen and, and give him a, a shot to to get a, some time. Because I, I certainly agree with your assessment that fantasy-wise, he might not be the move just because of he, he is not going to play as many minutes as those other guys, and he's probably not going to get the special teams time. But talent-wise, I think he certainly is well on his way to being a good fantasy player at some point. And so I'm also curious, I, I've done, I think, maybe seven or eight of these interviews now, and I've never gotten to four defensemen worth talking about. But I'm going <laughs> to go even further here because a guy like Eric Johnson or even a guy like Jack Johnson have been useful in roles in the past when they've been given enough minutes to kind of hit and block enough to be useful. How do you see the Avs bottom pair, those five and six guys? Uh, who, who do you think gets the most minutes there? Yeah, I'm I'm actually really curious about the you kind of know that Taves McCarr, Gerard are going to be the top three defensemen, but then behind them you've got they signed Ryan Murray, who, if he's healthy, is a really like smart puck mover. He's maybe not going to wow you, but is is a really solid player. So he's an option on the second pair, but also Gerard has played with Johnson in the past on the second pair. And then you've got Byram in the mix too. So it's it's kind of the balancing out the the bottom four defenseman minutes is going to be fascinating for Colorado because you have a lot of guys who can play really well um, and are capable of of being second pair defensemen, um, if not higher. I mean, Gerard's probably a first pairing level defenseman at this point. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that the third pairing, if they want to keep Johnson with Gerard, who he's played with in the past, then I think maybe you look at like a Murray-Byram third pairing or you have Murray on the second pairing with um, – with Johnson and Byram on the, on the third pairing. You do have to assume, or, or I assume rather that we'll definitely see Eric Johnson in the mix. He's just such a pivotal part of that franchise. And he, he misses most of the year with the injury last year, Jack Johnson. I think the league has kind of caught up to the fact that he's washed and, and we may not see too much of him, but that does check out, I think overall. And um, it'll be interesting to see how it works out. I would definitely expect Ryan Murray to be getting a lot of minutes there. And, you know, if you're in, if you're in bangers leagues, I think you should probably be looking at Eric Johnson because he is a, he's very valuable and he's not, he's not boring uh, in the stat sheet when he's on the ice. That's for sure. Yeah. He's a, he's a really good player and he's, it's, I know the abs have been, the players have been really happy that he's been back on the ice after last season was obviously very difficult. He started skating a bit towards the end of the playoffs, but it was more a morale boost thing than an actual, like he's an option to play thing. But now he's, he's been at all the captain skates and has been a full participant. And so we uh, will now go to go to Nets. And in Nets, the abs did surprise me this year, letting Vesna nominee Philip Grubauer go. Uh, in the offseason, they bring in Darcy Kemper to replace him. Do you see any reason to worry about Kemper picking up where Grubauer left off? I think it's similar to Grubauer, actually, in that you just want him to be healthy. If he's healthy, he's probably going to be pretty good. Um, he's maybe not. He's not Andre Vasilevsky, but no one's Andre Vasilevsky. He, he's going to be a, a good goalie, and especially with Colorado's defense that can limit shots really well and is one of the better defensive units in the league. He he. 
he's not going to be facing as many shots as he did in Arizona. So I think he certainly is a player who, who I've talked to people who think he might even be a slight upgrade over Grubauer. I think it's, it's certainly too early to tell that we'll see how he adjusts to the, to the system and stuff, but he's got the talent to, to carry his own and, and be a good goaltender for the abs next year. Well, and that's, you kind of have explained what confused me about this, this deal was that, you know, Kemper is, he's, his numbers have been incredible in Arizona, given the team has been kind of mediocre in front of him, if not, you know, mediocre to bad is probably a fair way of saying it. Um, but he's also struggled with health. And so to my mind, when I look at the abs, I, I really just want somebody who I could count on to be league average uh, performance wise, because I, I think I trust the team in front of him to limit the shots so much that he can put up decent performances. I was surprised that they ended up going for a guy who has had injury issues, especially when their second goalie, uh, Pavel Francouz, is uh, has just come is coming back from an injury that forced him to miss the entire season. Totally. But I mean, you also have to, Francois was, uh, is a really solid goalie when he is healthy and he is a guy who can be that league average goalie. And um, he even played some playoff games for the abs when Philip Grubauer was hurt. So you, you, it's the goalie situation as a whole last year, they played essentially the entire year with Grubauer as carrying all the weight with, I mean, they had Jonas Johansson play a little bit um, and uh, Devin Dubnik, Devin Dubnik. Him, but, <laughs> and you got some yeah. Hunter Mishka in there. It was, it was a, it was a dicey time for fantasy owners. That's for sure. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think it's, it, it, they went from having Grubauer and a committee of backups to two goalies that, you know, if they're healthy are going to be pretty good. And I think that it's certainly a risk with health, but when you look at teams that have to spend right up to the cap, there's going to be, you're, you're going to have to like get a little creative at points, mm. you know, like you you've got, you're going to have to, maybe there's going to be one area you don't feel as comfortable in. And you also have to remember that Darcy Kemper has played in about as many games over the past three years as Philip Grubauer. Well, yeah. And I mean, those two, you've kind of seen the, uh, the ups and the, the ups and the downs of, of the injuries and the, the really solid performances surrounded. But I do think that that's a, a fair point. And it is kind of making me realize that goaltending, I think probably because of the fact that you can't really carry a third goaltender safely without having to expose somebody to waivers. If, if you get into any roster inflexibility, it kind of, you're kind of beholden to the, uh, the horses that got you there already. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it's an interesting situation, and I think it is nice that they have a guy like Jonas Johansson who they can kind of send up and down who has experience and actually is pretty good for – he was did not have good numbers at all in Buffalo, but he, he held his own in Colorado, which I think is also an encouraging sign for a goalie like Kemper of what a good defense can do for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Kemper is a guy who, uh, as I recall, was in the Vesna conversation in 20, I want to say 2019-20, before he gets injured around December and misses most of the rest of the year. So I definitely think they have the upside here to be a better goaltending tandem. But I, I guess I would be remiss not to ask a little bit more about Francois because heading into last season, before the injury knocked him out for the year, uh, we had a lot of folks in the Keeping Carlson patron group, including the host Elon Dubrovsky, very, very excited about Francois. And he was starting to go a little high in fantasy drafts as well because people thought that he had the opportunity to surpass Grubauer. I'm curious. I, I never really 
I just didn't get the impression from watching the Avs that that's what they were looking to do. Do you think there's an opportunity here for Francois, though? Do you think he could be the starter by the end of the year? Um, I'm never going to say, like, something couldn't happen. I mean, we've seen, <laughs> sure. we've seen go. I mean, and <laughs> Philip Grubauer in 2018 was the starter heading into the playoffs for the Capitals and right. ended up being the backup to Holtby when they won the Cup. Um, so, so you never know who's playing at what level, but I, I think that certainly to start Kemper is, is the one they're envisioning as the starter. But I think Franco's the fact that they have someone that they can be comfortable putting into a playoff game if needed is, is big for the team. And I think something that they're glad they have. That makes a lot of sense. You want that, you want that stability, especially I think if you're a, if you're a team, like you said, up against the cap, if you're a contender, that's when having a solid backup goalie is something that you need to have. Yeah. And especially, um, Francis is on a pretty low cap hit. Um, and Kemper, they have Arizona eating some of the salaries. They're not paying all that much for goaltending next year. And so looking ahead, I mean, Kemper is a UFA. I'm not sure about uh, I guess I have cap friendly open so I can double check, but it looks like Francois is as well. Yeah. What do you, do you have a sense of sort of what they're looking for or what they would hope to have, uh, heading into 2022, 23, or is it, you know, anything is possible. I think we have to see how this year plays out. I mean, we have to see if Kemper's healthy and good the whole year. We have to see how Francois looks, what they'll demand on the market, what whether the cap goes up. Like, there's so many questions in that regard. I think the Avs are going to have cap space next offseason, but the reason they're going to have cap space is because they're going to have a ton of players to resign. So they're going to have, I mean, essentially their whole second line, like Burkowski and Kadri comes off the books. Obviously, Kemper and Francois come off, book, off the books. Um, there's some other contracts that they can maybe afford to let walk, but they're going to need to to figure out what they're doing at goaltending. And I, I don't think there have been many extension talks yet with friend, uh, with uh, Kemper's camp, but we'll see if those pick up in the next uh, little stretch. And so I'm not sure what your level of uh, prospect intel or uh awarenesses peter but i always like to give our dynasty fans a little bit of a little bit of prospect talk as we get into it and we've talked about new hook who's the guy getting the preseason hype and um i guess i'm wondering what you think he could possibly do this year do you think he could be a 50 point guy do you think he's ready to to be a contributor on a team that could make it to the stanley who could win the stanley cup 50 points is a lot of points. I certainly think he can be a, a good contributor, though. I mean, he he certainly, especially in the regular season, he really held his own last year. Um, and I, he only played six games, I think. And I think he had three points in those games. So I think that he can hold his own. And especially if he gets a chance on the second power play, then maybe you look at like a few more points. But I think he's probably, I don't know if he's quite ready to get to 50 or even 40 points this this coming year it'll depend on health it'll depend on how he's looking but he's certainly a promising player and is only 20 years old yeah absolutely so just maybe not this year but i mean 50 points would be a very promising sign for his future that's for sure you also I mean, the Avs would love it if he could give him 50 points that would be awesome for them yeah especially you know we're talking about filling that hole in the middle six and that's something that would be a a, a blessing that's for sure you mentioned uh, shane bowers though i guess i i'd love to hear a little bit about what you think he might be able to bring to the team this year yeah so the avalanche are interesting and last year they're kind of their opening night roster there weren't many questions about who was going to be playing come the first game of the season whereas this year there's a lot of there there's a lot of question marks and i think you're going to see 
you're going to see battles during training camp, NHL training camp. That'll be really interesting. So you've got guys like Shane Bowers, who's a former first round pick who put on muscle this off season. He, he looks bigger, which is what the avalanche wanted and has a hockey player's body. And hopefully for him, this year is less like disrupted by COVID stuff and injuries. And um, like, it's just last year was a hard year, I think across the board for prospects trying to develop. Um, so you've got him. And then you've also got Sampo Ranta who played in a few playoff games last year, who he's looked good so far at development camp. And then there's some other like kind of wildcard guys who like um, Jean-Luc Foudy, whose brother has played for the blue jackets some, but he's, I think a long shot, I don't know if he's going to get NHL games this year, but he's someone down the road that I think the organization is pretty high on and thinks can be a pretty good player. The other name that I haven't heard you mention is uh, their first round pick from 2018, Martin Cott. Uh, Any chance that he makes the league this year? Oh, there's for sure. Like there are three or four forward spots that I think are maybe not four. I think three forward spots that are pretty up for grabs. And I think that, I mean, if Martin Cott, can can be a third line guy for the abs that would be a huge boost for the team and and he's been i know he's been training with the the captain skates he's been at those and and has um i think been he i think it's a big year for guys like Cowton bowers who are maybe prospects that are getting a little bit older but have yet to firmly establish themselves as nhl contributors peter thank you so much for taking so much time to chat with us and giving us all of your insight let folks know where they can uh, where they can find your work. Yeah, thank you so much. So I uh, I work for the Athletics. So if you go to theathletic.com and click on the Colorado Avalanche team tab, uh, that's where most of my stories will appear. Or at um, on Twitter at Peter underscore Bob B A U G H. I tweet out all my stuff there, so you'll you can find it in either spot. Excellent, Peter. Thanks so much for taking the time today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.